Welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Hello. How are you doing this week? I'm doing really good. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a happy bunny because we're going to talk about a song that, um, whilst not being a top-draw Beatles song, is is I think one of the first instances where you'd say that you've got a bit of a, you know, a standard, you know, and and obviously Lennon McCartney wrote lots of things. Well, I suppose even if you include Harrison as well, with you know something and Here Comes the Sun, they've got loads of songs in their their catalogue that are classic standards. And and when we get into and I love her, and especially start talking about the range of people who've covered it we'll sort of then start to see that we've got something here that is more than just the sum of its parts. Yeah, I think that's probably a very fair description of it. It's one of those songs where it's sort of inescapable to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't describe it as a top drawer, but I think in some ways, I mean, if, if, if simply by the number of other people who have got their grubby little protuberances on it, I think it kind of is. It's, it's a yeah. really, really... Uh, well covered song and and you know there's there's very good reason for this and yeah. it's 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 kind of lovely to reach this point where we get where we get to talk about it really yeah and and you get um it's quite interesting because both Lennon and McCartney are, are having their first proper go at writing those sort of ballads on this so we've seen a step up um with with Lennon's version a couple of episodes ago and now we've got this and you just think actually there's something that's a little bit more refined about this it's um you know as as good as as you know um lennon's song was this one is just that little bit classier so you know if i fell great by the way like the title if i fell yeah we're sort of almost asking it in a conditional sense but here and i love her there's there's something that's even quite clever about the title that gives you that bit of information um, so it's quite a simple thing, but done really, really well. And and that's what I have to say. This song is it's a simple thing, but it is done incredibly well. So kudos Beatles. I'm sure they'll be very, very happy to know that I feel quite positively about it. I'm sure they will be, and and, and you are right to feel positive about it. I would also I would also posit it's uh, definitely a song which draws its strength from its simplicity, and that's not true of every simple song as i think we found out last episode but it's it's such a it's such a lovely piece and it's i think if i was choosing a word to describe it which is exactly what i'm going to do um i think sophisticated is the word i would probably go yeah. for i think this comes across as really sophisticated in a way uh, that I think a lot of the earlier material um, doesn't, or at least, let me say, the material that we've covered up to this point. There will be a, another whacking great example in this album a little bit later on as well. But there's a, there's a sophistication to the writing here, and the imagery isn't really complicated. It isn't really uh, a question of, uh, you know, having a, a bottomless thesaurus to pull endless words out of the out of the English language. It's just, it's a very, very simple song, but it is done pretty much to perfection. I, I, and that edge of sophistication, I think it's the same 
thing that certain songs like maybe Till There Was You was maybe aiming for mm -hmm. that kind of thing, yeah. but, but just it doesn't hit the same kind of level that, that this song does. Everything about this song comes together just beautifully. It's, but it's remember, simply lovely. Of course, I, I, and as you know, Till There Was You was a cover. Um, oh yeah, so, of course, but I so, think it's, I so think it's still aiming for that air of sophistication. Yeah, yeah. You can see that influence in this. And, and by the way, um, I, I like the idea of a bottomless thesaurus and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that the Germans have a word for that. Yeah, well, because well, you know, English uh, English vocabulary is to language what uh, Chinese population is to people. Yeah. Um. <laughs> now, can we can we before we we sort of dive into this, I, I have to get something out of the way, and we're going to come back and talk about the sequence in in the film. But there's there's one thing that I think really really struck me that is worth mentioning. That with McCartney on the riser holding his base up at basically a 45 degree angle, I think that is the archetypal Dirk McQuickly pose. It really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't agree more. Yeah. It is the most perfect example of Dirk McQuickly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Right. Ruttles, Ruttles um, link out of the way, done and dusted. Bingo card, tick. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, we're we're into the realm of ballads, and ballads often get um, yeah, a bad name, don't they? We, um, I was watching for um, um, completeness' sake. We're recording this on the the fourth of February, which is a, a Saturday afternoon. Um, yesterday, I was watching, or last night rather, um, as I think a, a lot of people do now, uh, watching the reruns of Top of the Pops on on BBC Four here in the UK. Sorry, Portugal fans. Um, and there were two episodes, I think, from 94 and the number one in, in both weeks, consecutive weeks, was Mariah Carey doing Without You, because living is without... Anyway, um, yeah, and, and we think of those as being sort of ballady, kind of, you know, big singing, big voice, big emotional statements. But these are, are much more in keeping with what a lot of people might, might think are ballads sort of simple, straightforward declarations of love, um, you know, not particularly creating something outrageous, not going for monumental statements in the music, but creating something that's that's kind of like a beautiful product with instrumentation to go with it. And and I think it it, it really works because of that, because of its its simplicity. So it's not a power ballad in any way, shape or form, but you can see the link from this to, um, you know, I mean, yesterday is one that, that, you know, gets mentioned quite regularly, but also onto some of the, the later ones. I can, I mean, I can see a link between this and, and, and Lennon's Julia as well, or, or even Martha, my dear, you know, and, and the fact that I'm talking about ballads as being songs that are written about a dog and a mother is, is a little bit odd, but, you know, we'll, we'll go with it for the moment. Um, but you can see that this is, um, and it's one of my expressions, um, you know, it's a stepping stone from, if you like, till there was you towards yesterday and Michelle um, and, and some of those other ones that, that end up coming later. And and I think it's it's all the more likable because of that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm, by the way, sorry, before we go on, I'm so glad you you said power ballad. I thought you were going to get through that entire description without using the expression yeah, power ballad. But you got there in the end. That's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, did. We, yeah. we, we talk about the development of songs and songwriting styles, and particularly sort of during the 50s and 60s, development of rock and roll songs and blues and folk and all this kind of stuff. Oh, and soul as well, of course. 
But the development of um, ballads isn't something which much gets mm -hmm. talked about. But it is a form which is developmental as well. And it is how you get from, you know, a beautiful, tender little song like this to Meatloaf or, you know, Bonnie <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> you know? Okay, no, you know, fair enough. I was thinking of, at that point, Jennifer Rush's The Power of Love. Oh, yeah. Had, yeah. Has Another perfect, perfect yeah, example Celine as Dion, well. um, you know, all those Diane Warren um uh written songs yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah or anything by jim steinman yeah absolutely and, and but, the, but the ballad is a developing form and this is the form that it developed out of that's that's kind of the thing and it is that very um you know a lot while when we talked about uh till there was you and being you know just maybe shading towards the twee and yet one of the great things about uh, uh, this song is that it's not twee no, at all it's, it's very very genuine and 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 that sincerity is one of the things that makes the song stand out like you said it's not a power ballad it's not you know got everything dialed up to 11 it's just a very gentle very tender and and very sincere little song and that's precisely why it works yeah and we've talking in the last episode about i'm happy just to dance with you and that very kind of simple um expression of of pleasure and then eventually at the end where George, through the writing of John and or Paul, realizes that he loves her. What was it? Um, it uh, what was what was the word he uses? Um, discovers. Discovers. Yes. discovers. Yeah. Um, whereas this, there's there's um, you know, the rhythm of it is is quite constant. There's this. You know, I give her all my love. That's all I do. Blah 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 blah. And I love her. You know, she gives me everything. Blah 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 blah. And I love her. You know, so it's it's that throughout that that just sort of repetition of it as emphasizing just how genuine that love is. And um, yeah, Jane Asher, it's it's about apparently it's about Jane Asher. I don't know if it is, but I've read it somewhere. It could well be. Um, it's interesting how um, McCartney seems to ascribe his, his, his differing emotions in some of these songs to. Um, um, his relationship with Jane Asher clearly at this stage or the stage he wrote this song everything was going quite well um, so um, very good um, it, uh, the lyrics are not particularly sophisticated but they work the whole thing about bright are the stars that shine dark is the sky you sort of think right okay we're, we're into twinkle twinkle little star territory here aren't we and yet in the song it works. It just works. And I think it's because he sings it really well. And I, I can't give it much more of a uh, of a technical description than that. But he's so clear and purposeful on this that um, he's almost the... It, it's quite funny to think of, of all those times you might have sat with your parents or grandparents watching uh, Christmas Top of the Pops when I can remember a particular instance where um, my nan took issue with um, Shane McGowan <laughs> yeah, I think right. Okay, well, I quite like it actually. Um, but you know, you—it's funny to think that there would have been people from an older generation who would have thought, "Oh, god, these long-haired types, blah blah blah." But then, you know, you hear McCartney sing this, and you think, "Well, there's not much that anyone could possibly find offensive here," um, and yet some did. But you know, hey. This, this is the kind of thing that McCartney goes on to do really, really well. Um, and we're just starting to see him develop his songwriting even further. And um, yeah, and I couldn't be happier for one. <laughs> well, I'm 
glad you're happy. It's very much a song which I think uh, captures a, a mood and the stylistic way. I mean, we talked about this when we talked about the last album and the way that it covers its bases in terms of appealing to different audiences. So you'll have a ballad, you'll have a rock and roll song, you'll have a, a doo-wop, you'll have, you know, whatever, all these different styles. Um, but there's a coherence to the way that this song was put together that I think, and this album was put together, that I think is, is, is lacking in the first two albums. And again, that's not really to be... Uh, dismissive of them or to or to slight them in any way but like you said it's a developmental thing it's it's yeah. it's, it's it's a progress um yeah. or you know it's progression that's that's what you're seeing in this song it is that it is that progression and it's one of those songs where i think you really do get the full impact of it by listening to um previous recordings i.e. the one uh, on anthology particularly uh, where you, where they have the full band version okay um which is really really interesting because it's i mean obviously it's demonstrably the same song but it doesn't have the little ding 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 hook yeah. in it um yeah. everything is played electric and um and ringo is on a full kit rather than being on uh, sort of bongos or whatever and it's a good little song in that version it doesn't have the middle eight that hasn't been added at that point um and it's a good little song but the difference between it being a good little song and this song is yeah. vast and it, it's it's just just hearing what it came from and listening to then the final version of what it became is I, I hesitate to say revelatory, but it kind of is. It's it's the difference that they're really taking the time and the care and the concern to understand your own material. This that's the kind of difference that this makes. It's it's I I do love this version very much, but I I think my appreciation of it's enhanced even more by hearing the anthology version. And like a lot of the anthology versions, it's really interesting to hear them, but often it's not. They can simply be like cruder versions of the song that eventually emerges. Whereas here, I think it's it genuinely opens up the way that songwriting and the way that the recording process has pushed the song okay. to develop. I have avoided Really, it. really fascinating. I, I, I did read about that, the, the, you know, the full band version but I've avoided listening to it. Um, you know, I, I will I will go and give it a go. What's interesting for me is that the, the fact that, um, say for example, I'm happy just to dance with uh, with you, is is a few takes and done. And and although in fairness, even some of the great songs uh, are are a few takes and done. Whereas this, there seems to be much more of a developmental process. And that even you know, on a day where they might have done you know ten, twelve, twenty takes the arrangements apparently developed across those takes until yeah. they found something that worked. And I mean, depending on, on, you know, who you listen to as well, it sounds like George Martin basically said, we need an introduction or Dick James and George Martin might've said, we need um, a middle eight. And then they, they went away and, and, and they wrote it. But actually in terms of the introduction, you know, going for what McCartney says is quite interesting because this is, um, you know, genuinely one of those moments where you think this could be an actual um, um, realisation or an actual memory as opposed to a slight rewriting or because it, what he actually said was he, you know, he brought it to the recording session um, where George Martin listened to it and we were about to record it and he said I think it would be good with an introduction and I swear right there and then 
George Harrison went, well, how about this? And he played the opening riff, which is such a hook. The song is nothing without it. Now, I don't agree. Um, I think there's still enough there without it. But it's it's really powerful and it adds something. I mean, we joked in in you know, talking about some songs on the first um, album, how occasionally you'd get the classical guitar out and you'd have like the, you know, Spanish waiter syndrome was, uh, you know, the holiday being on holiday in a restaurant and someone coming around with a classical guitar to, to try and sort of, you know, entertain your evening with a bit of culture. But here it not only does it really work there through the song, but the end as well. Because I think the end of this is is such an understated but beautiful thing. It's a subtle finish. It's just perfect. It gets the job done. It, it kind of repeats the hook of the opening and then stops. You know, everything goes dark, done. And, and it's beautiful because you could have come to some sort of climax um, or you could have ended up with a fade out or something. You could have gone into later power ballad territory but they don't. It's so unfussy. It's so unpretentious that it's just the right thing at the right time. And and there's a group collaboration to it that, that really works. Um, and yeah, the, the hook, without the hook, it's a different song. But then that's what I mean. It's It, it just helps it to make something that, that's greater um, than then it's, it's sort of individual parts. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why I would encourage you to go and listen to the anthology version because it doesn't have the hook. And you're right, it's not... I, I think McCartney's maybe overstating it when he says the song is nothing without it. Maybe he's just being kind to George, I don't know. Um, but it's, it is still a good song without it. But with it, yeah, it, it just opens up the song in exactly yeah. the way that it needs. And again, George's little solo, the, 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 the Spanish solo in the middle of it, it's just perfect it's even although it's just really taking the main line the melody line of the of the verses and and uh and recreating it on the classical guitar it's just exactly what the song needs it, it's just lovely it's such a beautiful little moment yeah and uh, you know you talk about that 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 resolution the way that it um the way that it finishes and it finishes on on d uh rather than minor so it, it resolves it, it, and it, it sounds bright because most of the other stuff it's, it's G minor, it's D minor, B minor, uh, you know, and then yeah. it finishes on this major chord. It finishes on D major, and it's it's the same thing that low does on out of time. And it just it's just a little bit like the sun coming out from behind the clouds. And it's a lovely, it's a lovely little moment. A, a, a Picardy third resolution apparently, which means nothing to me unless it's you know talking about the star trek captain yeah um but um it's just it's it's perfect for the song it's exactly how it should end can i can i apologize i almost burst into an oh, i part got part of the way through my o vienna after you said <laughs> it means nothing to me um a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about um um if i fell we we had this discussion about how one of the great things about the beatles is that everything they do is about serving the song and, and that's exactly what you're talking about. It's another example where everything they're doing serves the song. It's not at this stage about egos. Um, you know, it's not a, hey, let's look really clever by doing this. It's does it make it a better song? Does it make the boat go faster is is, is one of my favourite kind of sort of, you know, um, analogies for that. And, and, and it does. All of that just makes it a better song. They could have stuck a you know um an up your ass guitar solo in 
or you know some warbling singing but they don't it doesn't need it the song would not be better as a result um and you have to give them absolute credit for being so young and so confident in order to be able to do that um it's it's a wonderful thing and it's not a bomb proof song in any way it is a i think it's a standard because there are some pretty awful covers by some very good people oh yes um which is your favorite bad cover um jeez uh i think sarah vaughn's cover of it is pretty terrible okay which, didn't, is, didn't which, is, which is which is quite something i love sarah vaughn's voice she's 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 great uh but it's all a bit uh shirley bassey it doesn't oh, doesn't doesn't right. really okay. go for that kind of, yeah it's the whole thing about this song is it's a fragile little thing and going going for bombast kind of swamps that out. It it, it doesn't really come together. Which which okay. is yours? Well, I'm 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 going to mention one that I think will surprise you that I don't think is is disastrous. Um, and actually, I'm going to go from my notes here. So I, I'm just going to read what I put down in in my notes. Okay. So I put Cliff in 2001 is not disastrous because at least he does something other than make it sound turgid. Brackets. Neil Diamond, I'm looking at you here. Okay. If you want turgid, listen to Neil Diamond's cover of this. It's really bad. It's just awful, 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 awful. And the funny thing is, it's in terms of the the pace of it, it's not that dissimilar to the the kind of the the lo-fi recording that that Kurt Cobain did at some stage. And yet he brings something to it that gives it depth and meaning. Whereas Neil Diamond just seems to be for the money and in terms of that approach. Yeah. Yeah, the Neil Diamond version is, is terrible. But we should talk about the Kurt Cobain version yeah, a bit do. as well. Um, because it's really it's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure probably everybody knows, but it's on Montage of Heck, uh, Home Recordings. <laughs> I'm sure everybody knows. Nice, <laughs> nicely put, sir. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Try not to sound patronising here. Okay. Um, but um, it's a really, yeah, it's a really interesting version because it's, it is fragile and it is brittle, in which is true of the original, but in a completely different register. And I think that's one of the reasons his version is incredibly effective because it, it's giving it a different edge. But it's preserving the thing that makes it special. So it is still this, not tender in his version exactly, but it is certainly this very fragile thing. But the fragility is not the fragility of newborn love. In fact, it sounds like the exact opposite. Um, And of course, that's what Kurt Cobain does so well. Um, But it's it's a really fantastic version. I would love to have heard a more... Uh, studio-based version of it, but if yeah. this is the only one that we have, then then that's yeah. more than good enough. Yeah, you you can sort of picture it being on, um, you know, in preparation for Unplugged in some ways. Definitely, you know, I, I I don't know anything about the timeline of it uh, in terms of when it was recorded, but it sort of, you know it sort of has a feel of, of something that could maybe think of, well, shall I do this or shall I do this? No, let's do another Butthole Surfer song. Okay. Um, you know, something that was coming into the conversation um, about it. But I, I love the fact that it's such a diverse range of, of people in a, in a similar time period. 
you've got Andy Williams and Kurt Cobain. <laughs> you just think <laughs> that if if this isn't a demonstration of of the strength of the song, then then nothing is. Yeah, what range? What range indeed? Well, not only that, but of course, um, some of the others that are not mentioned: are Roberta Flack, okay, uh, Harry Connick Jr., um, mm-hmm. Mary Wilson, who I mentioned in in the last episode, um, doing a, a sublime cover of um, "Happy Just to Dance with You." Not so good. This one, it's more of a a, a bit of a standard. And I'm I'm sorry, I, I I've really tried not to swear on this, but but here's one for you. Howard fucking Jones. Howard Jones. <laughs> the Howard Jones. The Howard Jones. Yeah. It's um it's and, and and that's okay. But we we should the, the, there's a very culturally significant moment. Um and you know um I I don't I don't know if I've given the example of um um Brazil and Portugal in terms of the the reverse colonization that, that's yes. gone. Have I given have I mentioned yeah, that before? Have, yeah. Okay. Well it applies here because we've got Smokey Robinson covering the Beatles. And you just think, right? We've we've hit that territory now, isn't it? And we, I know we've talked before, um, um, you know, in a, a much earlier episode about the album Black Artists. Was it Black Artists cover the Beatles? I think that's what it was. Anyway, I'll need to look that one up. But you know, you've you've got people who have inspired the Beatles now covering the Beatles. All you needed really would would have been for for Elvis to do it, and you'd have you'd have had the complete set. The thing about the Smokey Robinson cover is that it's okay, but it's different because what you find is that George's guitar hook has been replaced by some quite powerful strings. You know, so it's got a slightly more menacing feel to the instrumentation, but it's um yeah I, I i don't think it's been treated with the reverence that he would have treated one of his own songs no i think that's probably fair i i quite like the smoky robinson version i wouldn't yeah. say i wouldn't say it knocks my socks off but i i quite like it and it is yeah just just for the cultural sort of cross-contamination it's kind of fascinating to see that that sort of taking place i think the menacing thing that you mentioned i think that's true and that's not quite something that this song can support, which I think no. is why it's, I think it's fine, but I don't think it's ever any better than that. But it's interesting to hear a different take on it, even if it's not necessarily a successful one. Yeah. I think it's interesting to hear at least somebody trying to do something different with it. And, and if it's not a complete success, it's definitely not a complete failure either. And given how many people have covered this song badly, that also counts for something as well. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. That is absolutely fair. Um, Bobby Womack. Oh no, I haven't heard that one. Oh, Bob, you, see, Bob, no, oh, right, it's, okay. It's got it's, it's got a really cheesy kind of uh, like uh, voiceover. You have to give love in order to get it back. That's what I've always believed, or words to that effect. Okay. It, 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 it it does not enhance the song. I have to say. Let's let's not forget, by the way, that in 1991, uh, Mr. P. McCartney is is reported to have covered this song as well. Um, yeah. So I've oh. I've not heard that take on it, but. Um, you know, I, he, he's a decent bloke. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Um, speaking of people who know what they're doing, <laughs> uh, here we go. It's uh, it's time to to, to link into uh, talking about the film uh, um, because without I would say without with risk, I am at risk of, of entering into the realm of hyperbole here. But almost every time we talk about the musical sequence, 
um, on on the film, we're talking about how it just gets better and better and better. And I really liked um, the sequence for I'm Happy Just to Dance With You so much more than I like the song, for example. Um, and yet we then get something that I think is beautiful here and and actually is something that I think a lot of people who direct um, uh, musical sequences could look at. I mean, not that people would make these kind of videos anymore, but there's a lot in it that is incredibly well done and maybe even set a bit of a template. Um, you know, first things first, in, in I'm Happy Just to Dance With You, I pointed out, of course, that McCartney's got his uh, got one leg up um yeah one leg up on the riser um um playing his bass well it's george's turn this time um you know because he's got his his classical guitar in um what i've i've noted down here is being approximately a 30 degree angle not even a 45 degree it's you know it's going very steeply and i don't know what it is about classical guitar that makes it better to to have up there at such a high angle um i don't know but um but it reminded me actually to to um you know, to, to make the reference to um, uh, last night's Top of the Pops again, um, they had um, the wonderful San Etienne on with Pale Movie. And of course, there's a classical guitar um, um, break in that. And again, guitarist behind Sarah Cracknell, same angle. You just think, what is it? Dear listener, if you know, last, last episode we asked you about the older African drums. Well, what is it about the old classical guitar? Um, or as I'm going to call it, the early European guitar. Um, there you go. Um, as, as, as a guitarist, I fear I have no answer to that question. And I, I feel I've let the podcast down so I don't know much. why. But the, the, the setting is, is, is kind of finished off by the fact that you've got uh, Ringo at the back behind a drum kit, but with bongos, interestingly. And you've also got three chairs that are kind of of the sort that you might see in a psychiatrist's waiting room. And John's sitting on one of them. They look like they're kind of like the slightly leather seats with the metal frame. Yeah. And it just seems so odd and so random. But what we get, as we started to get with um, I'm Happy Just to Dance With You, are shots through the monitor. So, you know, old Dickie Lester's really playing with that idea. And it's so effective. And But you get some beautiful things. Like once George has played his, his, um, um, the opening hook, he then obviously stops playing and starts cradling, almost hugging his guitar, which is a beautiful little moment. But, you know, we get the, the camera um, looking at it as though it's through the monitor, but and then it pulls back. And actually what you then get is the bank of monitors in the in the TV control room. So we've got two of those with the with the shots of Paul and George next to each other. Then the next one along, we've got a close up of John's face. And the one on the left, uh, um, left-hand side, we've got Ringo. Um, I mean, it's not clear from that because it's you know small screen whether he's drumming or whether he's on the bongos at that stage. Turns out he is playing the bongos later in a close-up. So you then you've got all of them. You're looking at them through the monitor screens in the control room as this sort of disembodied hand moves a couple of controls around, and then the camera pans up. And then you can see through the control room window. So not only have you got three of the monitors now, you can't see the one on the right-hand side, but you've then got John on the monitor in the studio, but also you can actually see Paul in the distance playing as well. It's just such an... I don't know whether or not anyone at that stage would have managed to get all of them in shots 
in different kinds of shots at the same time. And yet you could probably sit down and, and look at dozens of videos in the, the later 70s and in the 80s and even into the 90s where people are doing similar things with a split screen effect that surely would have been, you know, inspired from this. I've got more that, that appeals. I, I mean, I can I can talk loads about this. And, you know, at some point, maybe I'll, I'll just start writing a book about the, um, the way in which they, these um, were framed. But there's one when Paul starts singing about dark skies, uh, again, the camera pans left and you can see his, his you know, fingers on the fretboard. And, and it's a roughly a 45 degree angle. But just behind, you've got George's raised fretboard as well. And they're kind of forming a, a bit of a, um, a cross. You know, I'm not trying to engage in any symbolism here about, you know, St. Andrew or I don't know. Um, you know, it's like a metaphor for the crucifixion of or I don't know, whatever. There's nothing like that. It's just actually really interesting, especially because then there's a, a crossfade to Ringo and actually Ringo's, the fade starts going through, um, you know, the, the cross between the, uh, between the guitars and it's, and it works really well. It, it's so beautiful. I just have one complaint. What I want to know is why for the first half of the guitar solo, Richard Lester focuses on on John strumming his guitar, not George playing the actual solo. Well, I've mentioned this before in the podcast when we've had live recordings of uh, the band playing, and every time George steps up to do his big guitar solo, <laughs> yeah. they will immediately they immediately whip right to Lennon because apparently that he's not allowed to be on screen doing his solo, and it's kind of interesting to see the same thing happening in the yeah. in the movie as well as as well as the live stuff. So um, I think the answer to your question is consistent continuity. I think that's uh, I think that's probably what it is. But I, I mean. You're right, this is another absolutely gorgeous sequence in the film. Incredibly self-aware, but without ever becoming sort of tediously meta or whatever. I mean, it, that wouldn't have been a thing in 1964 in any case. Obviously, that's just how we would interpret it now. Um, but it is, it's self-aware enough to uh, understand that the the process of what we are seeing is being presented in a very literal way. There's, there, there's no, um, there's no attempt to hide the artifice of what's going on. In fact, quite the opposite. That artifice is very, very much being played up. You can't have anything else really with the shots through the control window, uh, the monitors and everything else, but it's not suffocating. And it's, it's just a very interesting interpretation of how to present this on. There are so many ways that you could have had I just very arbitrarily but you could have had like McCartney on a date with a girl or you could have had you know like there are so many other literal ways that you could present this song and it's not done that way and obviously within a certain it has to fit within a certain framework of the movie but as we've discussed before you know the sequences don't need to literally be part of the plot they will just stop so that we can have like an interesting music video and then we'll we'll get back to back to the action if, if that's the word uh, and and the song doesn't do that. The sequence doesn't do that. It holds its place, and and it's again that. I think one of the reasons it works is because the self awareness of the the video matches the self awareness of the song. Um, if that's not because there's something there is something very, even though it's a very simple lyric, there is something very. It, 
it feels personal, whether it's about Jane Asher or whoever it is, it that doesn't really matter. But it still it still feels like it's a really kind of personal little moment. And I think that the way that the the cameras kind of almost intrude into the production of the song kind of gives that sense of intimacy. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. It gives that closeness to it. And and I think that's one of the reasons that sequence is, is so effective. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been looking at, um, at sort of delving in and, and reading a few more Beatles books. Um, and I was just wondering if there, there was a book about, it, there must be a book about the Beatles films, but um, I, I think it's it's worth um reading about this to actually sort of find out whether or not there was any intentions i I'll, i will actually do some research on this because obviously we're going to be with this album for for a little while yet and then we are going to talk about the film well not only will we talk about the album but we'll talk about the film as well so there's there's still some some way to go on this so but i think it will be interesting to know just how much of this was intentional but even if it wasn't i think it's just so incredibly effective um i, I mean yeah I, I i was having a flick through the um the norman hunter book today no it's not norman hunter is it norman hunter played for leeds who am i thinking of hunter davis hunter davis thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> right okay I, ne- I nearly went on to ian hunter but that would have been anyway never mind okay yeah um, we're, we're, and we then it would have been ian huntley and then that's something very different indeed um yeah I was having a look through that earlier today and it, and it really surprised me because there's a lot of stuff up and before 63 and then there's a bunch of stuff after 68 but actually the it sort of seems to skirt through the whole Beatlemania thing really quickly so um so that was a little bit disappointing um but I'll have another kind of trawl back through um some of those books to see what I can find um yeah so it's just to add that little bit of credibility, because um, of course we've got none. Hi, folks. <laughs> well, um, we'll, we'll yeah. look forward to your your research based updates and in, in later episodes then. Well, it's it's a funny thing because I mean I've, I've I've been a Beatles fan for a long time, but of course there've been long periods when I've not really listened to that much Beatles music. But then setting this as a as a kind of a challenge, um, it's not like a. a you know, if, if you start studying something, sometimes you can then kind of fall out of love with it. Actually, it's kind of deepened my regard for it and made me want to find out more, which is why, um, dear listener, if you've stuck with this from episode one and through, you'd find that perhaps for the last 10 or so episodes, um, I've been doing a lot more research uh, rather than just making sort of quippy little comments in the background. I actually got a lot more stuff to, to contribute to it. So, as, as as we're developing so i want to to then develop and improve that knowledge and you know by the time this comes out you might even find that we've we've got other sort of things that we're going to start pinging up we're, we're kind of talking about a, a blog for example at the moment as well so it may well be that that's up and running by the time this episode comes out probably in march i would have thought so bearing all of that in mind where are we on the JG Macquarie-ometer in terms of the, the, the ratings, the completely spurious ratings? Spurious ratings are high. I think probably... I'm hovering a little bit between seven and a half and eight. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I, eight, I eight, you've given things like, um, please, please me. 
um, and seven and a half money, seven and a half from me to you, uh, boys, and ask me why, ha, 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 hi. You've not given many eights, interestingly. No. Mm, I'm, I'm a bit. Mm, I don't are, you, know. are you saying it's as good as from me to you, or better than? Oh, I've really. Uh, they should. I shouldn't have to. Uh, I shouldn't have to think this hard about it. You know what? Okay. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with seven and a half. I, okay. I'm going to go with seven and a half. I think that's. I think that's fair. So yeah. I, I've given seven to things like um, all I've got to do, and money and hard days night. Um, and, and I think there's there's some sort of parity with that um, in terms of my emotional response to it. Um, whereas, you know, eight, I've given it to things like She Loves You and All My Loving um, and You've Really Got a Hold of Me. And those give me a much greater emotional response to this. As much as I like this, for me, it's a seven. You know, it's sort of of, of what we've had so far. It's definitely one of the strongest. Um, but remember there's there's still we've still got yesterday and uh, you know if you're going to give eight to this that means you're automatically going higher with yesterday aren't you or are you save that for a for a later date Ooh, controversial well we'll we'll, we'll find out when <laughs> we get there some in 2027 <laughs> exactly whenever we finally manage to slog our way through to hell yeah. okay so so, 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 so seven, uh, then. maybe maybe then it's time just to move on to um our, our brand new section which uh, of course is called something along the lines of um you can really get a hold of me Yes, you can really get a hold of us by inserting a cheesy segment at the end of your podcast, which we mean uh, you can email us on Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Um, also, please check out my other podcast, Talking Trick to You, uh, where a noob and an expert, me apparently, go through the original Star Trek episode by episode please like rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show next week we have tell me why but until then keep listening